Good afternoon, Chicago sports fans, and welcome back to another episode of Chicago Sports HQ Chat. Today, we're going to continue diving into the Chicago Cubs minor league system as we have Tennessee Smokies play-by-play announcer Mick Gillespie joining us today. Uh, Mick's been a part of the Tennessee organization for quite a few years. He's seen the ups with the organization, he's seen the downs with the organization, and he's seen plenty of good players and prospects come through that organization, especially the group that they have there right now. I'm going to sit down with Mick, we're going to touch base on all things Tennessee, dive into a lot of the prospects that are sitting there right now, dive in who he thinks are going to be moving on, who he sees as potential lower-end prospects that might make their way up to Tennessee, and just Tennessee baseball in general and how things have gone this year as opposed to the past few years. Without further ado, here is Mick Gillespie. And welcome back to another episode of Chicago Sports HQ Chatter. I'm your host, Dustin Reese, and today we are joined by Mick Gillespie, voice of the Tennessee Smokies, AA affiliate of the Chicago Cubs. Mick, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Hey, great to talk to you, Dustin. Uh, I've known you, obviously, through watching minor league baseball and being a part of the Cubs organization and covering them. I've known you for the last several years, but for those who maybe don't watch the Smokies as often as I do. Do you want to just kind of give the listeners just some background on you, how you got to Tennessee, and just kind of your journey through minor league baseball to get where you are today? Yeah, I mean, I've been with the Smokies since they moved from West 10 uh, in Jackson, Tennessee, to uh, Smoky Stadium in East Tennessee in 2007. So that was my first year with the team. And, um, you know, and ever since I've been part of the broadcast, I've been the director of broadcasting. So I've, you know, got to broadcast a lot of great teams and some not so good teams and been around some awesome players and uh, spent a season in 2009 with Ryan Sandberg as our manager. That was awesome. I've been a Cubs fan, though, my entire life. So pretty much. I mean, I, I watched the Cubs on television, even though I wasn't from the Chicagoland area, but um, like so many. I mean, that's why the Cubs have an enormous fan base. But um, I got to broadcast spring training on Cubs.com for years with Len Casper. That was a lot of fun. And uh, do some work for Marquee occasionally. And uh, uh, I also host a football show, uh, you know, talking Alabama football. That's where I went to college. And uh, and in a bunch of other stuff, you know, like in broadcasting, we all have like 15 jobs. So I'm one of those guys. I want to talk to you about that uh, experience that you had with Ryan Sandberg. Um, obviously, Ryan Sandberg was one of the most beloved Cubs, especially since the 80s and 90s. A lot of people forgot that he was in the organization as a manager just because it's been so long since he's been here and after Lou Pinella stepped away from the team and Mike Quaddy ended up getting the job in place of him, I know there was a lot of people that were hoping that Ryan Sandberg would have an opportunity to be the major league manager at some point, but it just never seemed to work out that way. Just kind of what were your takeaways just having that experience of 
kind of working with one of the greatest second basemen of all time and obviously one of the greatest Cubs of all time? Well, first off, I, I love Rhino. I mean, like, just as a person, uh, not just the guy who I collected his baseball cards. I remember having his tops rookie card and how valuable that was to me and uh, filling out one of those baseball card pages <laughs> with the different Rhino cards, the Fleer Rhino rookie card, the Topps Rhino rookie card. Uh, loved watching him on WGN and, um, you know, what he brought to the game of baseball. Uh, he was just a really hard, tough-nosed player and someone that a lot of Cubs fans like me loved. I loved that team that, you know, with him and Andre Dawson and Sean Dunstan and, you know, listening to Harry talk about him. Jody Davis is a good friend of mine. Uh, working with Rhino, I, I got to know him as a person. And he is, uh, or at least he was back then, you know, very competitive, wanted to win, uh, focused, sometimes, uh, you know, laser focused, you know, and, and uh, a lot of that had to do with developing players and wanting to win and teaching guys, you know, how hard it is to win and what it takes to win. Um, he was great for the organization, and I didn't realize it until after he was gone that He's the manager in 09, and the team ended up making it to the championship series. And uh, they, they actually lost to Brandon Hyde, who was with uh, uh, Florida, uh, their Jacksonville affiliate at the time. But it was a great series, um, and the team kind of came out of nowhere, had a 12-game losing streak at one point, and, and Rhino was just undeterred, you know. He just he, – he, he just – I don't know what it was about him, but he he just made everyone think that we were going to eventually win, and we did. And then even when he left, as he worked his way through the minor league system and coached a lot of those players, he was part of changing the mentality that guys had. Um, you know, well, well, developing's this or whatever. No, developing's winning every day. And so I, I credit him for – you know, three really good years, uh, 2009, 10, and 11, where the Smokies made it to the championship series uh, because they were all guys that spent time with Rhino. Um, he was also a trickster. He, he would try to figure out how you worked, you know, meaning what are the things that bother you? And then he would uh, go out of his way to uh, make sure he would exploit that. And when you started to do that to him, uh, he loved it. Like he just, he just loved the uh, practical jokes and um, he, he's a hard guy to read because you, he's quiet. So you don't think he's behind a lot of the stunts that he pulls, but keeps things light at the same time. Um, you know, we, we still have a bunch of inside jokes and um, I really was one of the best summers that I had working with them. And, you know, we've stayed friends. And as far as, you know, the reason that he wasn't the Cubs manager is it, it just the timing didn't work out. You know, he ended up in Philadelphia. The timing worked out there, but the timing didn't work out with the Cubs. And I think that he was, as he was developing as a manager, um, could he have done it? Sure. But it just, you know, sometimes in life, it's all about timing. And, um, and maybe the other thing too, is that, they, that, that the organization didn't know, you know, how long these guys were going to be in this role. And, you know, maybe they just didn't want to, 
put Rhino in a spot where they knew he was going to lose because there were some bad teams, you know, the, the Quaddy's team stunk, you know, and it would have been a lot harder to, uh, you know, to see Rhino getting blamed and, you know, maybe he, people look, I mean, Cubs fans, you know, they'll get on you pretty fast. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe they protected him a little bit. I don't know. I just think if the timing would have worked out differently that he would have been the manager and that would have been great. Yeah, now touching on Len Casper for a minute, I know a lot of Cubs fans miss him. Um, I love, I personally love John Chiambi as a manager. I love just what he's done at ESPN. So when the Cubs hired him as Len Casper's replacement, I was extremely happy considering who they could have gotten in place of him. But you do have those fans that still think that Len Casper is a better announcer. They still wish Len Casper was here, but. I mean, you got to give the Cubs credit. They've been blessed with plenty of great announcers. You've had Harry Carey, you've had Brickos, you've had Chip Carey, you've had Casper, and now you have Sh- uh, Boo Shambi. So, I mean, it's not like they're on a short list of great announcers, but talk about uh, Len Casper as the person. I always felt like he was one of those broadcasters that obviously he was very smart. He knew pretty much all the ins and outs of the game. But when you listen to him, like I've listened to him now with the White Sox on radio sometimes, he just has a way of going about making the broadcast fun. And I don't know if that's just me hearing it from the outside or if that's what you also learned, just kind of calling those spring training games with him. Yeah, well, look, I mean, both guys are, are excellent. I mean, Boog Shambi, uh, you know, a great hire and uh, someone that baseball fans recognize and a really good guy, too. Uh, you know, I, I was in the booth for spring training and Boog and Len worked together on a game because they're really good friends. And, um, it, and, you know, Boog just jumped in and, uh, you know, and, and got on Glenn. And I felt like uh, I was really lucky to be sitting there. And this was long before we, you know, before Len ha- had left, you know. So this was, uh, I don't remember what year, but uh, Boog would always come by the booth if he was in town. And uh, a lot of times he'd be covering an ESPN game during spring training that weekend, you know, and, and he'd come by and see us. And he's a good guy, too. Like He's a, he's a really good person. I, I, I was uh, broadcasting a game the, the, the last time there was a World Baseball Classic, and it was an exhibition of the Cubs against Japan. And Boog went out of his way to get me in touch with the people at ESPN that take care of all of the information when it comes to, um, you know, Japanese baseball, he made me very knowledgeable and he didn't have to do that. And I'll never forget that. I just, I I like the guy. I saw him at spring training and, um, you know, and I always wish him the best, you know, Uh, Len to me is one of my best friends in in the game. I, I enjoy being around Len, like on, you know, at work when we were working together or, you know, off work. I mean, Len is, uh, as a person, he's very thoughtful, he's self-aware, which isn't always my strength, you know? And so when you're around Len and you see someone that is constantly kind of looking at a, a situation and figuring out if something he's doing is bothering somebody else, I mean, <laughs> that's what makes him a, a great guy, you know? Um, it's tough in baseball because, you know, you, you put 16 years in, I think that's how many Len was with the Cubs. And then all of a sudden it's just gone like that. You know, you, you can't replace that. There's perspective is a big part of calling baseball for a mm-hmm. city, for an individual team, you know, and um, the, the business has changed a lot. You know, when, 
when I was a kid, you know, if, if, if Harry was the Cubs guy, he was a Cubs guy, you know, he may do a game uh, of the week once in a while, you know, but, you know, now, I mean, you, you, you look at a lot of these guys in, in, in the game and they do, you know, ESPN and then they do a team and they don't do the whole schedule. And honestly, I don't do the whole schedule of the Smokies anymore, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, it's not like I'm sitting here, you know, calling anyone out, but when I was a kid, it just felt like the same guy was on the microphone uh, day after day, you know? So, you learn that they, they, they've been around the team so much and they uh, have, you know, so many different stories to draw from. Len, Len was great, you know, as far as that goes. And I, I loved working with him. I learned a lot about how to be a better play-by-play guy sitting next to Len. And, um, and I was shocked when, the, when he went to the White Sox. I, I really was. I mean, and I get it. He loves radio. He loves the uh, – you know, he grew up listening to Ernie Harwell. And mm-hmm. I remember before we were really friends, you know, when we just kind of were like doing the, the webcast together, we were, I mean, we, you know, we just didn't know each other that well. I Googled Lynn and, and I found this story uh, about basically Ernie Harwell talking about how great Len was. And I just thought, wow, I mean, that is unbelievable that Len's like, the guy he grew up listening to thought that much about him, uh, you know, to talk about him in a story, you know, and Ernie Harwell is one of the best that's ever going to do it. And, and, and the, and the thing about it is that radio has changed so much, you know, we don't really have the, you know, the, the talent that we once had in, in radio. And, and it's kind of a medium that's, you know, slowly dying out um, calling a baseball game, like Ernie Harwell, like Vince Gully, you know, is, uh, is an art form. And, um, you know, and, and I, I don't know, I mean, like, it, you know, why is it different? I, I just, I guess because so many people grow up watching television, you know, like you just, you're, you're, you're not using the theater of the mind when you're watching television, you're just looking at a picture and, you know, they'll just, whoever the announcer is just kind of frames the, you know, the, Hey, look, there's a flag and it's flying, you know, look, okay. I see that, you know, you're not going to sit there and go that the, the wind's blowing and the flags rolling in the breeze and the red, white stripes and the, you know, the blue and the stars are so sharp today and vivid, you know, and Pat, Pat Hughes does a great job of that. Um, But anyway, you know, it's, it's an art form that uh, Len loves and so, um, you know, good for him to get the opportunity uh, to do that. And as far as, you know, my time with him, my experience is uh, I had a, I laughed a lot. Like we laughed, we joked around, um, you know, we cut up and uh, I would put those uh, spring training webcasts against any broadcast in Major League Baseball and think that, you know what, I mean, they were as good as you could get. And now let's touch on the uh, Tennessee roster for a little bit. Obviously, the last couple of years have been rough for Tennessee, and I know if you look at just the wins and losses, I think Tennessee has the worst overall winning percentage in the organization the last couple of years, and I think a lot of that has to do with just kind of the constant shuffling of players going from Tennessee up to AAA and vice versa, especially last year when the Cubs knew they were going to probably be selling off a lot of their towns in the major so you had all the constant roster shuffling anyways and now mark johnson who was the manager the last couple years steps away from managing stays within the organization in just a different capacity 
You bring in Michael Ryan, who was the manager for South Bend last year, and now Tennessee has actually gotten off to one of their better starts this year as opposed to the last several years. Just what have you seen? I know the season's very early, but what have you seen kind of different with this year's team as opposed to teams of the last few years that just struggled to win games on a consistent basis? Well, I mean, you know, first off, I I don't think that it was – anything it had anything to do with Mark Johnson I think that it was an organizational issue that the Cubs had that that when uh you know the last I don't know five seven years of Theo Epstein being in charge that that he didn't value winning in the minor leagues he didn't think that was part of developing I mean just my opinion from what I saw and um and I think that Jed Hoyer and, you know, the, the people that he ha- has brought in do value it. You know, I think talent is part of it uh, because, the, you know, the organization is getting more talented. But the, they did things, you know, which were organizational rules for the most part that lent to losing. And, you know, when you, there's only so many games that you give up where you basically roll over and let the other team win that, that these guys are going to go out there and, and try to win, you know? Oh, well, if, you know what, if I get my work in and, it, and that doesn't include winning a game, then you know what, I'm getting my work done and it doesn't include winning a game. I, I, I my biggest criticism I had was it felt like I was watching rookie, uh, excuse me, uh, rec ball. Um, and, and and look, and, and to be honest with you, I don't know that it's the wrong way or the right way. I think personally, I prefer the way that they're doing it now because it's a lot more fun to watch mm-hmm. a team that's out there trying to win. And I also believe that if you're trying to develop a champion, then you would think that maybe winning at every level from the day that the players show up would help get there but with that said you know that wasn't the the way that the the philosophy worked and you know what they won a world series so i i don't know i i i sit here and kind of go back and forth on on why the cubs organization um you know kind of fell off like it did i I think trades are part of it winning you're, you're drafting back a little bit i think that the cubs lost some really great player development people. Yeah. And I don't know that they did a very good job of replacing some of those guys. And, and, and to even be fair, it's tough, you know, I mean, you know, there's only so many, you know, Jose Flores is out there, you know, or Tim cousins, you know, who was the, the catching coordinator and one of the greats that I've ever seen do it, you know, um, when, you know, it's just, it, and then, the the change of philosophy and then you win the world series and it's the greatest championship that's ever going to be won in our lifetime, just because of how many years that, that it went without it. Uh, and, and then, you know, kind of an organization that, you know, was, was, um, you know, that really felt satisfied. And the problem in sports is when you feel satisfied, you, you lose, you know? And so, uh, I, I see a system now that is working on, uh, you know, fighting entitlement and elitism and, and, and working hard to, to get dirty and go out there and, and, and really uh, improve every day. Uh, and I think Jed Hoyer is going to do a great job. He's been, uh, you know, it, it's his time, you know. And, you know, sometimes when you're as good, and I'm not criticizing Theo Epstein, he's the greatest 
GM, president, whatever you want to call in the, in the history of baseball. He, he ended both of the curses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but after you get the second one, you know, how, how easy is it to get to go to work and find that motivation, that, that the thing that drives you? You know, so when he mm-hmm. stepped away, I, I thought that was the right decision. And um, I totally understood it. And, and I, I kind of see a, uh, a breath of fresh air uh, coming through. And, you know, the other part, too, is when you're someone that's a legend, like a living legend like him, um, sometimes the other people around you kind of assume that they're a living legend. And, and it's hard to, hey, look, man, he is you still got to go out there and get it done every day, you know? Yep. And so, um, you know, it's, it's been, honestly, I, I feel like that's a big part of it, you know, and I'm not afraid to say that that's my opinion. You know, I've only been here, you know, what, 16 years I've watched, you know, the end of Jim Hendry's runs and, you know, and then that the building up to the world series champion and then, you know, what's going on now. Um, uh, you know, the, 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 the thing that the Cubs have now that they didn't have is that they have an owner who will help them do the things that they need to do to be successful. And, and, and I've said this before, and I really think Cubs fans need to cut Tom Ricketts a break. Uh, they ought to thank him every day because when the Trib owned the Cubs, um, they were, they were set to fail because they didn't want to spend the money to develop. They didn't want to spend mm-hmm. the money to, to, to have good facilities. You know, it was, it wasn't run to be successful. When you look and compare the Cubs to the Cardinals uh, the Cubs to the Braves, the teams that had sustain, sustain, sustained success, <laughs> you know, it, it starts in the minor leagues and then you develop to the, to the big leagues. And when Tom Ricketts bought the team, that was the first thing that he said was, you know, we're going to invest in our organization, whether that's the facilities, what they did out in the Dominican. You saw what they did at Wrigley Field. Um, you know, they, they found – uh, very good partners like the Tennessee Smokies and, and some of the other minor leagues, or really all the minor leagues teams that are, that have totally bought in. So, um, you know, th- that's, that's definitely a plus when you can go into a draft and you pick the best player and you can, you know, you're not afraid to, to pay that guy to show up and, and help your organization. You know, the trades that the Cubs are making right now are going to help out as well. Um, and, you know, they, they're, they're, Honestly, they're making a lot of changes in, in, in the player development side that are, um, are paying dividends. You know, so Michael Ryan's the manager this year, and he's great. You know, he, he's a guy who's won, uh, who's won a lot in his career. Uh, you know, I watch these guys, and they're working really hard right now, uh, improving their skill set. Um, there's a positive energy around the team that I love. And the more positive energy that you bring to an organization – the better you're going to be. And, and um, you know, and I think that's, a, that's definitely something that if it was me and I was running the Cubs, I would try to make sure that I found that at each and every level. And going back to what it was like to work with Brian Sandberg, positive every day. You know, he, he, he treated everyone with respect. Uh, you know, the team did as well. Everyone was on the same page. But we had a guy named Bill Dancy who was our manager the year after Rhino left. And I think he managed – Somewhere along the line, he managed Rhino as a player or something. I, I, I can't remember the story. It's been so long. But Rhino knew him. He knew Rhino, loved Rhino. He came in and a lot like Michael Ryan, you know, just a really positive, outgoing, focused guy. And um, I got spoiled. You know, I work around <laughs> some, some great guys. Pat Listash was awesome to work with. You remember him? He got to the big league yep. with the Cubs and was a ben- a, 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 maybe a bench coach. and Great guy, fun. 
And then you got, you know, veteran guys like Buddy Bailey who have seen it all, you know, I mean, Buddy's got more wins than any other active manager, I think. Right. So, yeah, I think he's second um, all time in minor league history, but he's got the yeah. most of the active ones. Yeah. Yeah. So the, those guys, you want to keep those kind of guys and then you want to improve and find as many positive people as you can and have, a, have an organization that's focused on, um, you know, basically trying to be better today than they were yesterday. And I, the one criticism, the one criticism I always had for Theo Epstein, and don't get me wrong, I'm never going to forget what Theo did for the organization. I'm never going to forget the position that he's put the organization in just based off of the type of president and the type of general manager he's been for his whole life. But I kind of go back to his days in Boston, too, where when it came to building a winning franchise, you could arguably say he's the mastermind at it because he knew exactly what to draft. He knew exactly the type of players that worked in the draft and how to develop them. And he knew the perfect time to spend money in free agency as opposed to kind of take the lumps along the way. But then the criticism I always brought forth, it always seemed like once he got that championship, it became more difficult for him to sustain that level of play for the next several years, whether it was because he traded away a lot of the prospects that he helped develop the last couple of years and tried to bring in more pieces, whether it was a couple bad free agent signings here and there, it just seems like he had no trouble getting to the mountain to win it. But once he won it, it seemed like he had a tough time kind of sustaining that level. But that just goes to show you how difficult it is to kind of be at the top of the mountain on a yearly basis at the same time. Yeah, who knows? I mean, it's, you know, when you accomplish the things that he's accomplished, I mean, he won the two World Series that were impossible, right? He, I mean, the curse of the Bambino and then, you know, and then the Cubs, I mean, over 100 years without a World Series. You know, what, what gets you what gets you up every day? You know, what motivates you every day? You know, and, and um, you try to go out there and find it. Look, I cover Alabama and I've seen Nick Saban. And I, I don't – he's like not human, you know. Like he'll win yeah. a world championship and then, you know, he's, you know, 24 hours later, he's working on the next one, you know. Uh, and, and, and he's been able to build his organization – to forget about the year before and be focused on the next year and the next challenge, you know? Um, but, you know, we're all human. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's the, for the Cubs when they, when they got Theo Epstein to come to town, you know, that was one of the biggest things that's ever happened. Yep. You know, so it's like, you know, being, being in the, in the spot I'm in now, it's like when you talk, you got to be honest. I'm being honest. You know, here's the things that I didn't think were going well when Theo was in charge. But let me tell you, when they when they got him to show up, it was like going out and bringing in, you know, Nick Saban at Alabama. I mean, like mm-hmm. the, the day he showed up, everything changed. And it was probably for him uh, a, a breath of fresh air because, you know, he he'd already done it in, in Boston, you know, and he could try to do it over again. And, and now the challenge for him, is to try to help fix baseball because baseball as a game right now is in a lot of trouble. Um, and, and they have issues everywhere and, you know, and, and maybe they figure out a way to make the game what it used to be, but it definitely feels like it's, it's going the wrong direction in a lot of areas. So him being, you know, with MLB and helping in that capacity, um, if anyone can figure it out, it's him. 
Yeah, now I'm going to ask you the million-dollar question before we dive into some of the pieces on the Tennessee roster. Miguel Amaya, Braylon Marquez. Do we see either one of them this year? I know Miguel Amaya is out with Tommy John, so I find it highly unlikely that anybody sees him in the organization this year, and if they do see him, it's going to be very late in the season at a limited capacity, but Braylon Marquez is the one that I think everyone's been waiting to see this year, especially when you look at the breakout season that he had in 2019, makes his major league debut, the final series of the year in 2020, and then all of a sudden doesn't pitch last year because he was dealing with shoulder issues and kind of a bunch of other issues in spring training. Fast forward to this year, same thing, dealt dealt with some injuries in spring training, dealt with some out of the organization issues with COVID related stuff, all spring training. And now you're looking at nearly three years without a consistent competitive amount of innings on his arm. Do you think we see Marquez with Tennessee this year? And if we do, what kind of role do you think he plays? Do you see him going back into the starting rotation or do you see him kind of like I see him? And I've said this for the last couple of years. I love him as a starter because his stuff is elite. His stuff is nasty. He throws hard. He's got the breaking stuff. But I always felt knowing how big of a pitcher he is, knowing how hard he throws, I always felt that he would be better suited as like an eighth or ninth inning guy and kind of like the Aroldis Chapman who came into the major leagues as a starter but then got turned into a closer within a year just because of how hard he threw. Well, and also because he he wasn't able to like sustain – Mm-hmm. success over the course of five innings or six innings. I saw Chapman as a minor leaguer, and it was crazy. I mean, just how hard he threw. Um, but to get the most out of him, they just figured, hey, look, let him go. And, you know, it basically the, the business of, of baseball is that you the starters are worth a lot more than relievers, you know, as far as the money goes. So when you, re, when you draft someone to be a starter, you want them to be a starter because – you know, go look at what starting pitching is paid, right? And go compare yep. that to what, you know, uh, re- relief pitching is paid, you know, and it's not even close. Um, but with that said, you know, I, I have no idea. You know, I, I've heard things that that Marquez, um, you know, was working on, uh, you know, dropping some weight. You know, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I'm working on that too. So <laughs> if he figures out how to do it, he needs to tell me. Um, I, I'm, and as far as Miguel Amaya is concerned, saw him last year. He had a lot of work to do with his game. I think he still might have made it to the big leagues last year just because the Cubs had so many injuries at catcher. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I just don't know that when he gets back, I mean, that he, he's got a lot of work to do. I'll just put it like that. So he, he wasn't, in my mind, someone that would have uh, shot to the major leagues last year uh, before he got hurt. But he definitely has the tools. And then kind of looking at the pitching as a whole for Tennessee this year, I think actually has been a big surprise. I know last year they struggled mightily with starting pitching. They struggled mightily on the bullpen. And this season, it seems like they've turned it around. You have guys like Peyton Remy, who's pitched much better this year than he did last year. Cam Sanders is off to a great start this year, as opposed to last year where I think he had one of the worst seasons he ever anticipated of having. It just seemed like no matter – what adjustments he tried to make. It didn't work for him. You have guys like Ryan Jensen who, yes, he's still inconsistent at times, but his stuff is starting to get back to the level that the Cubs expected it to be when they drafted him in the first round. But another guy who's finally 
come back from an injury is Riley Thompson, who when he was pitching in single A and when he was pitching down in Eugene kind of made a name for himself. He went eight and six with South Bend in 2019, posted a low three ERA and really put himself on the map as one of the better younger pitchers in the Cubs organization. Obviously with no season in 2020, he ends up missing the entire 2021 season. And now not only does he bypass South Bend again, but they stash him in double A Tennessee and he's off to a solid start this year. He's got two walks, 17 strikeouts across nine innings of work. He's got an ERA sitting at a uh, low three and he's starting to look like that top 15 prospect that he was listed as a couple of years ago. Just kind of talk about Riley Thompson and what you've seen in him because he was one of those guys that, in my opinion, had he not gotten hurt in 2021, I think he would have been in AAA this year with a shot at knocking on the door in September. Yeah, I mean, look, when when last year's season took place, there wasn't a 2020. So the, every organization had to make a decision where they were going to place their talent. Were they going to put the guys back to where they would have been had there been a 2020 season, you know, and start them a year behind, or were they going to push them ahead and, uh, and put them in a league that they probably weren't going to be ready for. Um, and, and that's what the Cubs did. They, they moved a lot of these guys that should pr- probably weren't, well, they weren't ready for double A. Let's not even say probably. They weren't ready for double A. They, 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 they were hurt by the pandemic and not having a season. Um, and and that, that was not just Cam Sanders. I mean, it's a lot of guys on that roster. Um, and then you come back this year, and this is where they probably would have been. You know, so it, it, it's it's a lot more – it's a lot fairer to them and their development, you know, kind of seeing where they are now. They're not, you know, that's so overmatched. And um, and that's a good thing too, you know. Um, I, I don't know how I would have done it. Uh, you know, would I have kept them lower? And then, you know, I don't know. You know, it's a, it's a tough call. I and mean, Hopefully we'll never have a situation like that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad that I wasn't in the management spot to have to make that decision. Um, Riley Thompson's got a ton of talent, great movement on his pitches. You know, he, he's, he's had to battle with injuries in his career. And um, when I got here, one of the first things that Michael Ryan said was he's pitching third, you're going to love this guy. And then you watch the movement and, um, and what he does out on the mound. He, he's a real talent. And there's a lot of, ta- there's going to be a lot of guys that were on, last year's Smokies team and this year's Smokies team that will make it to the major leagues. As bad as they were last year record-wise, and it was – I felt like it was the the combination of, you know, doing things to protect the players and not win the games that cost them their record and also being younger. But I'm looking around and I'm going, you know what, there's – there's 12 or 13 guys that I would be pretty comfortable, comfortable saying that they're going to be in the major leagues. And, um, you know, and I'd say on this team, you know, there's a pretty good group of them too. I haven't gone through the roster yet, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of big leaguers right here on this, on the squad, you know? So that's, that's a definitely a good thing for the Cubs organization. Um, you know, Cam Sanders uh, is a year older. He's got a lot of movement. He hit 98 last game, you know, which is crazy. The, the, the velo, um, it's, it's all about trying to figure out how to get consistency here. And then when you get the triple a, you know, you hope that you're polished enough. And then when you get to the big leagues, you hope you're ready to go. 
Yeah, exactly. And kind of what you said about a lot of major league talent on this roster, a guy that the more I think about it, the more I realize why he's in double A and that's because they want him to have regular consistent at bats. But the more I watch him play, the more I look and say he's not going to be in double A much longer. And that's uh, outfielder Nelson Velasquez, who just broke out of his mind in 2021. I don't think anyone saw him having the season that he had last year. Follows that up with one of the best seasons that anyone has ever seen in the Arizona Fall League, where it seemed like every game he was getting a home run or every game he was getting an extra base hit. Come to 2022, I honestly expected him to be in AAA, but then you look at the AAA roster where you have Brennan Davis, Donnie Dweez, Greg Dykeman, Zach Davis, it was going to be very hard for Velasquez to get every day at bat, so I can see why they brought him back to Tennessee. Got off to a very slow start this year, but all of a sudden it's turned into home run derby where he has five home runs in his last six games and has six home runs now in the season. I don't see Nelson Velasquez being a a double-A much longer. I do feel that he is going to be sent up to triple-A shortly just because I think it's starting to see that He's figured out double-A pitching to the point where it's no longer a test for him. But do you think he is one of those prospects right now that could challenge for a September call-up roster spot, especially if he keeps doing what he's been doing the last week plus? Look, uh, Nelson Velasquez has the potential to be a star player in the major leagues. Um, I, you know, I'm looking at his game and uh, just trying to figure out, like, where the weaknesses are. And I'm sure they're there. I just – you know, I haven't seen a whole lot of them. Um, you know, maturity is probably part of it. You know, being being mature is, you know, and, and being ready with maturity at the major league level is important. You know, that was a step that when you push guys through, um, they get to the big leagues and work ethic is part of that. Now, I don't I don't I'm not saying he has a bad work ethic, but what I'm saying is that even with some of the star players that got to the big leagues and in, in the blink of an eye, um, you don't have an opportunity to work on anything else once they get to the major leagues when it comes to the things that you do outside of hitting a baseball. You know, the minor leagues are supposed to be for, hey, you need to learn what time to be, you know, to be on time, you know, to set an example, you know, to know, you know, kind of the ins and outs of, 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 of being around the team every single day, you know, um, taking batting practice, uh, even when you don't want to, I mean, I don't know, just all, all the, all that stuff. And uh, I'm sure that's an area where, you know what, I mean, he's a young guy, you know, just figuring all that stuff out. Cause the game, the game's pretty easy for him. I, I don't compare him to uh, Javi Baez or Chris Bryant, but I, he reminds me, honestly, of an Adrian Beltre type player. Got the mm-hmm. really good swing. It, it gets to the ball. He's got the power. Uh, he plays good def- defensively. He really knows the game. Good guy. You know, I, I could see him being um, a, a, a regular, everyday big leaguer. You know, I don't know what he does, like, as far as getting ready for a game every day. I'm not around him to see that, but – uh, I'm guessing that those are probably the things that he's going to need to improve on before you just throw him into the big leagues. And I love being, you know, like I was a Cubs fan before I worked down here, you know, and <laughs> guy hits six home runs and in a week and 
you know, we're ready to put him out in, in left field at Wrigley. You know, I mean, like, oh, that's going to translate. You know, I, it doesn't always work that way. But he is a really exciting prospect, no doubt about it. And another exciting prospect is someone that's often overlooked, but he shouldn't be in. Obviously, with you being with the organization as long as you've been with them, you know this firsthand. But back in 2018, when the Cubs were trying to trade for Whit Merrifield with Kansas City, the name Christopher Morrell was brought up quite often where the Royals were willing to part ways with Whit Merrifield, but they wanted a guy like Christopher Morrell in return, and the Cubs really did not want to get rid of him. Uh, he did have a down year last year in terms of his average, but he still showed plenty of flashes of being a legitimate, not only everyday major league player, but an everyday major league player who could be a star. Fast forward to this year, and Morell is starting to untap his full potential. He is one of those guys that, from a talent side of things and from like a toolsy side of things, I would argue that he has some of the best all-around tools in this organization, and he's another one of those guys that I don't see being in double-A much longer just because of what he can all bring to the table. Yeah, look, uh, he, he's he got a lot of tools, um, but he also um, has a lot of work to do with the mental aspect of the game, and he's not going to be ready to play until he knows how to run the bases, uh, where to throw the ball, um, and when not to you know, and to be in position and, and to stay in a game for nine innings. But he's gotten a lot better. I'll tell you that, that, you know, he made a lot of mental mistakes last year. And he's had some this year, but not not as many. So there's there's definitely developing, and, and you know, for Christopher Morrell. And it's happening, you know, and that's a good thing. And the organization has worked really hard on slowing him down. He, he's just such a physical specimen. And he's a guy, you said it, he's got a ton of tools. I mean, he he can go anywhere from – an Alfonso Soriano type to a uh, Felix PA, anywhere in between, you know, he could be a big bust or he could be a star. And, and that all depends on, you know, what is he going to do to continue to learn the game, uh, to read the game better. Um, and I, I've, I've seen a lot of improvement in that area, um, but not enough to, to make me super excited, like, you know, comparing him to Velasquez. I mean, yeah. I, I see Velasquez is a – I think he'll be in the big leagues this year. And, uh, and, and he could be one of those guys once he gets into a spot that uh, he sticks around for a long time, you know. Um, so, uh, with Morrell, I, I see him having another year down here I and mean, then going up to AAA. I mean, he's definitely not on the fast track because the mental part of the game has been so hard for him. Yeah, I kind of compared uh, Morrell to a junior lake the other day just based on kind of his swing and everything. But yeah, two more, two more guys. One. Yeah, two more guys that I really like. Um, the one of them I think had a worse year last year than I think he even anticipated, and that was Chase Strumpf, who was drafted a couple of years ago out of UCLA. He kind of followed that Theo Epstein motto where – when I go into the draft, I'm going to draft the best college-ready bat, and I'm going to bring him to the system. He did that with Ian Happ. He did that with Bryant. He did that with Schwarber. And when Chase Strumpf was drafted, Chase Strumpf was probably the best college bat in that draft. Theo brings him aboard. He has a great first year. Down year in 
2021, but he seems to kind of be figuring it out this year. And then Bryce Ball, who a lot of people didn't see last year because he was part of that Jock Peterson trade with Atlanta in July of last year, went to South Bend, and I think a lot of people expected him to do a lot more than what he did without failing to realize that, yes, the numbers weren't there last year, but he displayed terrific plate discipline for such a young hitter, and he's going to be your prototypical everyday kind of left-handed power bat where he's going to strike out, but he's also going to give you a ton of power and he's also going to draw a ton of walks. So kind of what are your thoughts on those two? Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, look, Chase Strump, I've gotten to know him some this year and he's just a really good guy. like being around him. He's having to deal with failure in baseball for the first time and he, he dealt with that a little bit last year, but he finished up really strong. So I know that he can do it. I've seen him. Uh, it's just a matter of, um, you know, and, and look, they drafted him as a contact guy. You know, he's just got to make a little bit more contact, I think. But, you know, the power numbers are there and the glove never goes anywhere. He's a, he's a good defender and he, he doesn't take that into the field. Uh, you know, at, at some point, you just hope that it all kind of clicks for him. But I don't, I don't see it being that far off. I, I think eventually it's going to happen. Uh, you know, it's a transition when you go from college to the pros. Um, you know, he, he's dealing with that right now. How to hit with a wooden bat instead of aluminum. You know, pitchers that have a game plan every time they're out there. He's, he's working on his game plan. But he's a smart guy, and I think that he'll figure it out. And then we've seen a little bit of Bryce Ball. He's a guy who the Cubs really didn't have in their organization. You know, they, they, they had Rizzo at first. And they just didn't draft first baseman. And I guess the philosophy is, well, we can convert anybody to play first base. You know, so, you know, we'll do that down the line. The problem was is that, you know, at this level, we had like catchers and backup catchers playing first base. It wasn't fair to the rest of the infield when if you bounce a ball to first, you know, there was a 50-50 chance whether they were going to catch it or not, you know. Uh, and that kind of goes back to, you know, if, if you're trying to win a game, you know, maybe you go out instead of just throwing a backup catcher on first base, you go out and get a first baseman and help the rest of your infield develop, right? Uh, and maybe you win some games along the way, you know. That's the frustration of where the organization was. And then, you know, when Jed went out and, and made that deal, um, it puts a first baseman in the system. And when Bryce Ball's out at first, I mean, he's a good defender. He's a big target. He's got good hands. He makes it a lot easier on guys like uh, uh, Luis Vazquez and Chase Strumpf and, you know, whoever else might be playing the infield to, uh, to you know, not have a perfect throw but get the out, not have their errors, uh, you know, go off the chart. And, um, and he's got a good plate approach. You know, I, I, I think that at some point he's got to develop some more power because that position, you know, dictates that you hit some home runs. But uh, he's been fun. Look, it's, he's been a great pickup for the system. You know, even if it's even if he doesn't develop into a big power hitting first baseman, just the fact that he's so good defensively, it, it makes the rest of the team better. And uh, and I think that it helps develop some of the other guys in the infield. And then the last question I have for you before I let you go is I asked this to uh, Alex Cohen the other day because I had Alex Cohen on here earlier this week. But cool. with you being in the organization, you see everything kind of from a different perspective. 
yes, I may kind of write for the Cubs and I may cover the Cubs from the outside looking in, but when it comes to minor league baseball, I can only watch them on minor league TV because I live in Wisconsin and Iowa and South Bend are the closest teams to me, which it's still five and a half, six hours to Des Moines and about five hours to South Bend. So it's not like I can just hop in the car and drive to see them every day. So when they are on MLB TV, I do get that um, chance to watch all these prospects. But looking at the lower levels like Myrtle Beach and South Bend and even once rookie ball starts, I know Christian Hernandez is going to be everybody's focus this year because of what he did at such a young age in the Dominican League last year. He's going to be in the Arizona Summer League this year, and I expect him to land with Myrtle Beach before the season is over. But are there any prospects that you see kind of in that Myrtle Beach, South Bend range right now that you think are going to make their way up to AA and help this Smokies team before the season is over? Yeah, I'm wondering. I mean, I'm figuring uh, Ed Howard at some point, right? I mean, he's a first-round pick. I saw him a little bit at spring training. He is a a really slick defender. You know, I'm curious to see how his bat is going to play. But, you know, he would be a great Cub, I mean, just because he's from uh, Chicagoland. And then uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, I saw him in spring training, yep. and I'll tell you, he's got some speed. And he very, uh, in my in my opinion, I think he might end up being the cream of this prospect class with Christian Hernandez. And like, I wasn't, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't sold on that Javier Baez trade last year because they gave up Baez and Williams and only got Crow Armstrong in return. So I'm like, this guy better be like the next. Ken Griffey Jr., or you could have gotten more, in my opinion, for that. But the more I watch this guy play now, I'm like, okay, maybe this kid is really legit. You know, the, the, here, here's the deal with these trades. You know, last year you go into the deadline and you trade away a bunch of guys that we all love. I mean, you know, forget about whether it was – and I, I think it was the right thing to do. I just yeah. think that the organization was done with these guys that it, that, that, that they were, that they were living legends. It didn't matter what happened on the field. They'd already won. And there was just a, uh, they, the organization just needed a, I think just needed a facelift with that. Yeah, said, organ- I still organizational reset. Yeah. I love them all. I mean, like I love them all. I appreciate them all. And I wish them all the very best. Right. I mean, they're great guys and they're great players and, some of those guys are going to win championships for other teams, you know? Uh, and I think if the World Series that the Cubs won hadn't been so enormous, uh, I think they might have won more. But, you know, when, when it's the sixth largest gathering in the history of human, you know, civilization that we know of, I mean, <laughs> what are you going to do for an encore, right? Um, but anyway, going back to the trades, Baseball kind of goes through these like different cycles, right? And the cycle right now is that teams are really unwilling to give you their top prospects in these trades, you know, unless they're they're players that are further down in the system, right? So you, yep. you know, they, because they don't want you showing up the next year with their, you know, a young player being someone that they gave you, and you're going to be blamed for giving away the future right 
So you normally get guys that are, you know, three or four years away, and there's a chance that you're not even going to be with the team three or four years from now. Like, you know, Tatis Jr., the White Sox gave him up, right? So it, it's it's that's kind of where we are right now. Um, to get Pete Crow Armstrong, the Cubs had to give up a couple of guys, and um, I hated to see Javi Baez go. I, I, I honestly, I can't remember a guy I loved watching more play the game than Javi when he was with the Smokies. Uh, and then I say that, and uh, you know, and for other reasons, you know, Chris Bryant too. You know, like we're very lucky to have both of those guys uh, come through the organization. It is weird still to see them in other uniforms, but. Um, We'll see what happens in the future. I, I'm curious to see what you know what the trade deadline looks like this year, uh, and I, and and who knows? Maybe the Cubs are active again if they're not in the mix, and and they trade away some of the guys that they have in the big leagues now. That was what they did when they were building that World Series team, and then some of these guys could end up like Nelson Velasquez in the big leagues this year. Yeah, exactly. Like for me. I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, so obviously Sammy Sosa was kind of the one that really brought my love to the Chicago Cubs. But take away Sosa, Javier Baez to this day is still my favorite Cub that I got to watch in person just because of everything that he could bring to the table. It wasn't just the offensive side of things, but it was the base running, it was the glove, it was the flair, and it was kind of the first time in a while that you actually got to witness a person that not only loves the game of baseball, but actually displays how much he loves it on the field. Like now with Scott Boris and a lot of these agents, baseball has become a business. Well, rightfully so, because that's everyone's career. That's how they get their paycheck. But you don't see players on the field having as much fun as Javier Baez. And I think it was just so refreshing to see that for the seven years that he was up on the north side that I think it just put a different perspective into the game. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, we lived through it. You know, we lived through it. I was kind of hoping that 2003 would be the the year that they broke the curse. I love that team so much. Uh, but that was before I was with the Cubs. I was just a fan watching, you know, the, the Bartman game and the way that things went after that. Uh, I remember the 84 Cubs. And then to kind of be part of the organization, you know, like I, I broadcast a bunch of spring games that year with, with the Cubs for Cubs convention, you know, did a lot of other stuff for them. So it was, um, you know, it was just different. It was, it was more special just to say, Hey, you know what, I'm part of a family and, uh, and to see them win it all, you know, now it's time to kind of get past that and, and start looking forward to being a team that's, um, you know, able to put together, uh, perennial world championships and um and that's exciting to think of too and that's all i have for you today mick uh thank you very much for taking time to join me today and we definitely got to do this again uh before the season's over especially kind of once we get through that trade deadline side of things and see kind of where the cubs are sitting at that point yeah no problem good to talk to you dustin all right thank you take care